Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. G'day everyone, welcome to My Millennial Money, I'm Glenn James and this is John Pigeon and hello to the Kiwis, we've got plenty of Kiwis that listen, welcome and the next biggest audience is the United States, is it? Yeah, the USNA, so g'day USA. Yeah, what's up, you're nearly about to go to the polls. That's right and I think the topic today about how to improve your property for valuation, Mm. it's probably, it's a topic that's probably will stand up anywhere in the world and we've got a guest scott mcmonigle how are you scott good thank you glenn welcome scott how are you well thank you you're back at the you're back in the podcast studio last time we were talking about separation i know divorce separation (laughs) divorce separation you got me on something positive yeah yes well you know you were pretty positive uh guest last time you knew what you were talking about hopefully yeah yes, been it myself <laughs> yeah. and then i've done a few renovations myself and yeah try to add value to a property so um, oh yes. you're talking about houses here yes, yeah. yes, yes that's right <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah exactly awesome. now while we're talking about property uh you might not have realized if you're new to the my millennial money world that we run another podcast called my millennial property and john hosts that with emily wallace who's a buyer's advocate in melbourne she is i used to be on that podcast but i retired well, call it uh, being made redundant, retired, <laughs> whatever you want. But uh, but I'm no longer there. <laughs> you're not there. So if you are interested in uh, a weekly podcast about property, My Millennial Property, it only goes for 15, 20 minutes. So we we cover heaps of ground mm. and you're certainly in great hands. Now, speaking of podcasts, we can't do this show without our friend and show partner, Sun Super. Through their exclusive member discounts program, Dream Rewards, Sun Super members can get discounts on selected short courses and professional development courses at a number of universities, including Queensland University of Technology and the University of Sydney. So check out sunsuper.com.au forward slash M3. Once you're on there, check out Dream Rewards. Uh, but that's pretty good. Like in terms of superannuation, there are so many super funds. So the question is, what can your fund do to add value? Because it's not all about the cheapest fee. No. And it's it's great that they're relating it back to people's lifestyle. And, well, you get educated, you've got a higher chance of earning more money. That's right. And you'll get a higher super balance from that anyway. Win-win. So thank you to Sun Super for supporting my millennial money. So we're going in hot with this one. John, ask Scott something. Scott. Yes, my time starts now. Yeah. <laughs> Capitalisation or overcapitalization, yes. right? I've got differing views on this. I've I've bought a house for five hundred K. Yes. The median value of the prop of the suburb is a million dollars. Yes. I've spent 
100K over what I probably thought I would, but I'm still under the median value for that suburb. Am I overcapitalizing? Uh, well, the numbers that you talk about make it a bit hard for me to discuss because when you say 500,000, so when you talk about median value, I, that's what value was do. We, we don't go a broad brush approach at all. So if I can talk in my language so I don't Over lose because your numbers will throw me otherwise, Righto. what I'm a big believer in and, and just say just say this is New South Wales, Central Coast, Newcastle mainly that I work in, uh, just say you give me $350,000 and just give me a vacant block of land. Yes. Now I go out to a development site. Uh, I, and that's just been freshly done. There's four, 40 blocks there, $350,000 per block. Now, because you can go next door and buy another block, exactly the same or very much to the same one you just bought, and you can go buy a project home fairly similar to the one that's just down the road, there's normally the, not that much profit in, available to you. So the, the correct capitalisation of those properties is normally about one to one. So mm. $350,000 worth of land, $350,000 worth of building. Yep. So that's a one to one. That's giving me seven hundred. That's why I'm, so you sure. can use my numbers. Yeah. And then so this sort of works generally for homogenous sort of properties, yep. right? It doesn't work for sort of waterfront or uh, you know unique properties. Right. But that's where you've got to be careful. And this is where where the word overcapitalisation comes in. Yeah. Comes into vogue. And that's where I do have concerns. Where and it's all about price point, as you know. Like everybody on the Central Coast, Newcastle has basically got five hundred to six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Once you get past that price point, then you start probably getting a little bit of value. But up to that price point, as you said, you the person mm. at five hundred thousand may have paid too much or a hundred thousand dollars more than what they felt really comfortable with. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's where it becomes uh, can unravel very quickly. So I yeah. do a lot of work, say Cameron Park, uh, for people that don't know, it's a little bit outside of the Newcastle CBD and it's closer to the freeway. So people are buying properties out there or used to for two hundred, but they were spending like four fifty, five hundred thousand on a house on a quite a steep block sometimes. Yep. And I've got a problem with steep blocks and overcapitalization because what you're increasing the value or trying to increase the value, you're you you're limiting your market because it's mm. a steeper block. So mm. less people can buy it. Mm. Like I am no, I mightn't look it, but I'm a bit older than you guys. But um, the uh, but oh, I know you look it. Yeah, right. But um, but I I wouldn't buy a steeper block just because of knees and travel. And you know, if you're going to live there for 10, 15 years, so these factors have got to come into it. So mm. one, you've got to stick with your price point. Two, you've got to stick to your marketability. So the perfect property, you know, to an extent, mm. is a two bedroom. Dead flat unit, like we're in a uh, townhouse. Townhouse, yeah. You know, that limits people straight away. A two bedroom with no steps is the almost the perfect property, right? If it's got a double garage, even better. That way, a mm. husband and a wife or two people can move into it. They can have a hobby room in one of the garages, mm. a garage, two bedrooms. That that should appeal just about to everybody in life at some stage of their life. Yeah. Okay. So in in that example, you bought that block for three hundred fifty k. Someone went and spent. 500 on the build instead of that 350 one to one that you're referring to yes. you're using that as an example of overcapitalizing possibly you know yeah. this is where it comes down to that it's so at Cameron Park and Fletcher they're yeah. selling for 800 850 yes. it, it's a struggle and if interest rates are just upwards possibly they, the, the volume of money you're going to have out there is going to be affected quicker than anything else. Yeah. So overcapitalised properties always get caught out in, in as soon as the prices increase. Mm. And I'd suggest they're the first ones to drop. So my saying is, you know, there's sayings I don't like, like, you know, I'm never going to move from this property, but, you know, there, there's sickness, there's there's mm. job security, yeah. there's divorce, kids, there's divorce, there's uh, disabled, uh, you know, situations that disabled people come into your life that need to be looked after, mm. that need level properties. There's grandparents that call back in after you get older. There's younger people that turn up to the front door. So you should never say, you should never build a house 
just because you wanted to do it to the ultimate situation. I did a property yesterday um, and they spent probably five million on it, I'd suggest. And you know they five million on the build. On the build, that's right. what they told me. And you know, they they're selling it at the moment for the high four million dollar sort of price tags. So, you know what I mean? So they but they bought that property to never leave. It's a beautiful acreage, like mm. hundred hundred acres. You know, sensational. Yeah, detail. You know, but what um, you're saying is they wouldn't get their money back if they sold it tomorrow. No, that's right. That's right. And so that's the concern that you have all the time, and that's pure overcapitalization. And when I first, like, you know, met only a few years ago, when I was in the twenties, the uh, uh, the few, few um, decades. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. That's right. Um, <laughs> you know, that was the first thing I learned. I remember going up to Budgiewoy, and there was a two-story, three-story, magnificent home, mm. huge, and it sold for two hundred and fifty grand. I said to my dad at the time, I said, "How does how does that work?" And he said, "Yeah." Oh, just blew it. They just overcapitalized it, and stairs everywhere too. So overcapitalized, and then limited their market of who they could sell to at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, and we might touch more on uh, the capital side of things because we've this this whole episode's basically answering listener questions because I didn't prepare. Yes, and there was just some really good questions that came it in was. on the Facebook group. Uh, but in terms of a property valuer mm-hmm. as a career, yes. just tell us a little bit about that. Tell us what you do day in, day out. If someone's listening, you know, within 150, 200 Ks of here and they need a valuer, you know, give yourself a plug, whatever. Yes. I'll send you the invoice. Um, <laughs> but just tell us a little bit about your world and valuing. Yes. Well, I'm Scott McMonagall. I'm from Property Valuations, New South Wales. Our 1300 number is 1300 305 549. That's the only advertisement I'll do. Yeah. Um, so you give an inch. Uh, <laughs> I went originally to Hawkesbury Agricultural College for three years full time after finishing high school certificate. Uh, and then my family business was property valuation. So then I came back and worked with my dad for a, uh, for a year or so. Uh, was accredited then as a fully qualified registered. Uh, now it's with the Department of Fair Trading, I think it has to be. Um, and also I'm with the Institute, Australian Property Institute of Values. Um, so it's a fairly heavy accreditation. You At college, you go through a lot of subjects and everybody has their fortes. You know, mine was probably building because, you know, from Central Coast, you sort of come from a bit of a building background anyway. Um, so my forte was definitely sort of the building side of it and I enjoyed that part of it more than other parts. Um, I then went to Sydney and sold real estate, high-end CBD, uh, Sydney office which also gave me a grounding in the course that I did. So as an they, agent? As an agent, yep. yeah. Yep. So I did that for about six, seven years with um, uh, international companies and then did some other leasing work in shopping centres in Cairns and then came back to the family business and then developed locally cool. uh, doing all that sort of stuff. But the, the thing is I do like about valuation, um, it it's a, it's, gives you a very broad base. You know, So if you're a kid looking to go into a, a property industry, um, it's it gives you a very broad base. A lot of my friends are high end in Sydney, you know, Charter Morgan, uh, Charter Hall, you know, top end of that, and you know, Westpac and people like this. You know, that it gives you a really good grounding until you find really what you want to specialize in. Um, so it's a good course for that. It's very difficult if you just want to stay in sort of residential or something like that. It's a very high burn rate. Mm. Um, you know, yesterday I did a lot of hours in the car, still doing it when I got staff away and things like this, and doing it a lot. Um, but it is, and it is quite tedious sometimes. Um, but there is enjoyable parts of it. But it gives you, if you are looking for a grounding in a, in a industry, to then go on to what you guys are talking about: investing, buying and selling, flipping, all that sort of stuff. It is a really good um, benchmark for that. So, in terms of uh, a valuer, most people's experience with a valuer would uh, generally be out of their control. As in, yes. uh, I've gone to the mortgage broker. You know, they've yes. the bank has organised the valuer. The bank has paid the valuer. Well, if I can interrupt just there, yeah, so yeah. the bank has uh, a panel of valuers. Yes. So the bank entrusts 
you two guys, for example, from XYZ, from YZ valuation companies, we say, yeah, you fit our criteria. We're going to use you. We're not going to use Scott in this instance because he's not on our panel. Yes. Right? So they entrust in that. And it's a shame because over the years, whilst it's a very uh, micro-locational situation, the bigger companies have gone for the national, international companies, and you mightn't get the local person doing the job, mm. which defeats the whole purpose of being a local valuer to an extent. So that's been sort of the downside of the business industry of late, but that's sort of turning around a bit now too because you really do need to know what's what school's local, what shopping centre, if the bikies are living next door, no, no offence to bikies of course, mm. um, but um, the uh, you know these sort of things, all these things come into a local, local micro community. Uh, Condition. Yeah, because the elephant in the room is is such that I got a valuation, it came in lower than I expected whether I was purchasing it or ready to purchase it or it was the existing house that I had and I thought it was worth more than that. So I go and get a second valuation or a third one and those three valuations from all different valuers which are basically on that panel that you referred to, yes. I've had an experience where it's 150K difference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me about that because like you said, there's some do's and don'ts and what you've learned through your father and whatever. Like everyone, every valuer comes in as, a, as an individual first and working for the company second. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think that's true. Like when you have a disputed valuation, um, you've really got to isolate the problem. So, like, I've got one at the moment. It's a rental review, which I won't go into that. But, but you've got to sort of say, where did you get your facts from? So mm. normally, say, in a residential property, for example, there's only two main components, the land and the mm. improvements. Mm. Right? It depends on how you bundle up the improvements. Yeah. Do you put the fences in there? Do you put the pools in there? You know, we normally do, right? And you have the land just as blanket as land only. Mm. That way you can compare apple with apple, right? And so that's the va- what the value is trying to do is get that apple and apple situation going. And when there's a dispute, you've got to sort of look at the report. You look at the two reports and they go, well, the land value is the same. Mm. So you've the difference is in the improvement value. Very rarely will both values be argumentative about both figures. Mm. There's only one figure that they normally argue about. So if you're trying to critique something, trying to hone in on that one difference, to sort of say, well, it's 700000 We both agree it's 325 to 350 land value. Let's just cut the middle, 342. Let's just happy with that. Now we've got the problem of the improvement value. I'm at 450 and you're only at 320. Yeah. So can I just check your areas, you know, and you check the building areas um, and check the garage areas, check, you know, like, you know, even this room here, you've spent some money obviously doing it up. You know, do you, do you realise that it's got heated flooring? Do you realise it's got air conditioning? Do you realise it's got mm. extra lighting? No, I didn't realise that. But also if you're trying to help the value or help you, which is the thing I talk about, leave a list of things out. Like mm. I'm not to know all the time that there's heated flooring, middle of summer, I'm not really checking for that. I will check the dials on the wall and see there's air conditioning, security, and then I look at another dial and go, what's that one? Like, but if you're not there, yeah. you're not there to tell me that it's heated flooring and it might be yeah. a different brand. So there's all these factors and we're not rocket scientists by any stretch mm. and most values don't have an ego, I'd suggest, I'd like to suggest. Um, you just got to give them information. It's all fact-based. So I guess going back to my comment, that most of the time we engage a value or it's out of our control. Yes. What are some – and I guess there's never a va- value that's going to be too high unless you're in a separation and need to buy <laughs> a partner out or something like that. So when would another instance be where I need to call you myself, not through uh, the bank getting oh, spat sure. out well, of the machine? Well, right at the moment, the government's giving out the $25,000 grant. Um, so we're seeing a little bit of work coming in from that. So you're saying you're building a place, you're trying for the grant. I think it's got to be below 
about 750. 750. Yep. So, so it's like a stamp duty valuation when you're – so that's one thing. The government grant, it's a new thing. So the next one is um, that, you know, at your age, you, you've probably got kids and stuff and you're going to sell something to – no, I'm joking. And say, <laughs> you're a guest here. Not that I know of. I was just – yes. Yeah. Uh, but say if you bequeath something to one of your children, then the government still wants to know what the, the stamp duty stamp rate duty. of tax they're missing out on yep. or that they're going to get. So we'd you'd say, Scott, can you go do a stamp duty valuation on this? I want to sell it to John uh, for four hundred thousand dollars, um, and it's worth five hundred thousand. So we go out and value it for five hundred thousand. The stamp duty is payable on our valuation, not on what you transfer it out at. Yes, right. So there's another one. Definitely divorce and separation. Um, and a, a thing that you know, I don't want to say what I'm thinking, but anyway, is that it's asset portfolio. Like if you were you know, back in my day, BHP, and I always say BHP, I should use some trendy company, yeah. but you should go through your assets once every couple of years like you do with superannuation. Yeah. Oh, so there's another one, superannuation. We do those every three years uh, for your superannuation fund. If, if you probably. own a property within the fund. That's right. You've yep. got to do it every three years, I believe, yep. and, and also the rental part of it so yes. that, that you're paying yourself correctly or the rent coming through one of your companies or or the rent is, is accurate. So there's another reason. Um, so, uh, again, and that goes on to retail commercial. If you're setting up a new business, you want to make sure you're paying the right rent where you mm. get us in to check that you're not overpaying the rent uh, and the conditions of the rent. Um, so there's uh, – so we've got, as I say, back to divorce and separation. But getting back to the asset uh, analogy too, it's very important that you go through your properties and work out what you're worth, you know, yeah. and sort of say, well, everything's going good at the moment and the property market's very strong at the moment. You know, it's hard to believe during this time period that we've had that it is still increasing in the areas that we cover. So the government or the valuer general yes. uh, is basically the uh, state-based government's uh, record of what they believe land's worth. So yes. I've got my annual council rates the other day. Uh, there's three strata blocks in here. They said my portion of the land is worth 200 grand. So if we go 246, is that about right generally that this block of land could be worth 600 grand or how far off in practical terms do you see the valuer general's textbook versus reality in terms of land only? Yeah, it's probably very hard to say, but you've got to remember that I, I think, you know, this probably shouldn't say this, but this is the realities of it, but they don't want to have the hassle. If they overvalued the property and then they base your land tax, your council rates and everything off that, then there'd be uproar, mm. right? So they take an average of the street um, and then work it out. So they haven't got time to value every property. So unless it's changed since I used to do a little bit of work for them yeah. um, and we used to do all of the objection work for them. Um, so you, you pick out one property in the street, you say it's 500 square metres, it's worth 600,000, you work out a square metre rate, you apply it to the whole street mm. unless you pick up a view at the end of the street. So so in this instance, if I said to you I'd buy this block of land for 600,000 and build three units on it, you know, you'd sort of say that sounds cheap. I'm pretty interested <laughs> because yeah, yeah. just down the road, sold for one point two five for a um, townhouse, nice townhouse, mind you. Mm. Um, you know, so there's so yeah, it's not accurate at all. Uh, it's but a starting it, point. But it's a starting point. But remember, it's the calibration of council rates. So they might that might seem low. But it's it's important to sort of be somewhere correct in my mind because the calibration of the council rates is one point six times the the two hundred thousand works out to be your council rates. So the council will adjust that calibration to the to the land value. And I guess I only really care about land value and challenging it 
if I'm in land tax territory and think right. that I'm paying too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think they come out the 1st of January sort of thing. The yeah. Basis yeah. Of the 31st of now, January. You're pretty happy with the, the rates being um, valued low though. Yeah, you? Those totally. No issues with yeah, but, but the thing is the land, the land values are based on three years. So your land tax is based on an average over three years. So, again, that's – that, so you be careful because when the market goes up, it's it's hundred thousand, then it comes down, and then and then uh, they're taking the average of the three. So after three years, if it's always been up and then it drops, you're still going to get the bad average from yeah. the two years or three years of high times. Yeah. So it's again, I've got arguments with the system. Okay, Ashley in the Facebook group, Ashley Crack, what's the best way to improve property value? Yeah, well. Oh, I'm a big fan of, um, at the moment, it's all about lifestyle, I think, you know what I mean? And if you're talking low end, I'm probably not the, the best example to discuss high end because the money that people can spend is amazing um, on things and they look sensational. I'm not really up to speed with all the time with all the high end costs. I do get quotes given to me, but the lower end I'm better at definitely, like, you know, the, the sort of the hundred $150,000 renos um, and I think that's, uh, you know, what's probably best to talk about for your customers um, because otherwise you've got to get the quotes coming in to, to quantify what's good and what's bad. Mm. But I'm big on uh, outdoor living um, and I think that's where lifestyle's going. So I love a lounge room, like a small lounge room, just say this big. Yep. And I love it if you put a double slider in um, and then a big deck outside. The deck's going to be sort of like 350 to 450 a square metre. The slider's going to cost you a bit of money. But all of a sudden, if you can incorporate the outside living to the inside living, on a nice day in Australia generally, you're going to pick up, everybody's thinking that you're one big lounge room. So I think that that's important. So it comes down to a square metre rate. So your average, say, McDonald Jones, um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, those sort of companies, yeah, project home yeah. companies, probably yeah. vary between about thirteen fifty a square metre to about nineteen fifty a square metre for your for upper style uh, Montgomery homes and stuff like that. So you've got to be conscious about how many dollars per square metre you're spending on what you're producing. So that's why I like decks around uh, pools and stuff like that as well or outdoor areas and cutting out steps. It, again, increases your marketability. More steps you have in a house, again, it gets back to older people can't utilise them. So think about marketability, who you're selling to at the end of the day and outdoor living is the things that I like. Mm. Um, And, uh, yeah. So going back to your initial uh, valuation, I suppose, appraisals and dollar dollar for dollar, land and build. Yes, you mentioned about slope block. Yes. Your site costs are through the roof. Yes. You don't see the value of the cost on the site. No. Right. It, there might have been 30 grand extra in peers. That's when evaluation can clearly come in under value because the site costs are not worth anything. That's right. So this is uh, – I've got a few little videos I've done on my um, website thing. <laughs> but anyway, but that's a really good example. So a level block – you know, like let's go back to the things that I understand probably the best uh, is a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar block at Fletcher, right? Boom, dead flat, mm-hmm. right? McDonald Jones come along, put up three hundred and fifty thousand dollar home on it. Site costs are negligible unless they find rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? Unless they go down a bit. So then you go, hey, mate, hey, John, I just found a block out there. I bought it for 180000 And this happened not so long ago. And it was one of our first jobs with a new bank we started doing work for. It was like the worst job. Mm. You know what I mean? So I came in, he said, paid 170 for it. And I went, oh my God, I went out there. It was a really small three-bedroom home and the quote on it was like $480,000 and the 
The driveway was $35,000 to get up to it. Um, then he got a bit of a view, don't get me wrong, but then he bricked all below the, the floor level, down 10 feet or three metres, right, which cost an absolute fortune. Mm. But it was only 120 square metres of living and, and a garage you know, the same size as this. Right. You know? And so all of a sudden, you know, he spent that much money on a square metre, right? It worked out to be 2200 Right. And But but the thing is he thought he got a bargain at 170 but if you equated it to the $350,000 level block, yeah. you know what I mean, that that the the uh, the tender price was fairly consistent, but his yeah. tender price was 120 grand more. So he was almost up to 300 to 320 by adding the extra cost on. So really, and he's on a steep block, marketability-wise, he's mm. still losing unless you got the view, then he wins. But if he didn't get the view, then he would have been better off just buying the level block. But people have got to grow into property and at $170,000 at 3%, my God, if you can't afford that, then you're not even playing. I just want to – we'll go to plenty of these questions in a sec. I've just got two scenarios yes. and they're both personal to me. <laughs> I, I built a house in Queensland five years ago. Yes. I would consider it one of the worst houses in the street. Yes. All probably 200K builds above the standard I built. Um, five years later, the, the growth in the market has occurred. Yes. But – Organically, as a result of those million-dollar builds, the value of my house has gone up. Yes. Right. Talk to us about that briefly. Yeah, so that's like, again, that's price point. So I, I think um, that's that's the uh, ideal situation where you want to be and that's marketing correctly as well. You'll, you'll probably find some of those people have spent too much money in that street yes, and then have sold it for a million dollars but have spent 1.1. Mm. Uh, so, again, that's what you want to be doing and mm. that's being savvy buying mm. uh, and, and doing that and picking the marketplace as well. So it's like buying the worst house in the best street. That, that sort of saying does hold yeah. very true. But it's about, as I say, it, these days I've sort of changed my tune a little bit and I think it's really price point driven. Yeah. It's like buying an investment property. I'm sure, you've, you know, with your investment people, they've got up to a certain, dog, uh, certain dollar that yeah. their account is saying you can spend – $533,000 mm. and that'll be the most cost-effective cost thing based on a $450 a week return. Yeah, yeah. So, again, everybody runs out the door with $533,000. Yeah. So the developers have gone out and done what you've done in Queensland, mm. have produced maybe an inferior product mm. into a marketplace that will absorb 533 as the mm. price point and that's where they make their money. Yeah. So that's where I, I struggle with personally my investments. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and then the second one is swimming pools. Some say they add value, some say they take value off. Now, I got a valuer out, yes. older, nothing against older valuers, uh, middle of a COVID. Yes. And walked out and said, look, the pool has, uh, well, no no uncertain terms said, you putting that in has brought the value of the block down hmm. because now you can't subdivide it. Yeah, so you've got a development site block. Um, well, I did have. Yeah, yeah, him. that's, well, this is, <laughs> okay, well, um, without naming names, I'll let me jump to somebody else who, uh, he's a funny bloke, you'd know him probably, um, but, and you'll know that he bought a really nice place, uh, really bought well in, in a, in a upcoming street mm -hmm. in Shelley Beach, which is a bit local for a lot of people, but anyway, but really good street, right near the beach, right near the golf course, um, and, and then he bought the block next door, and guess what he put on it? A basketball court. Yes. Right, so and he's in the game, you know, and he's done very well, and he's a good bloke. 
And he said, how much is it worth? And I went, uh, well, no all. problem with that unless you like basketball. It's <laughs> yeah, going to be yeah. better or tennis or yeah. whatever. So, again, it's the, it's it's getting back to what I said before. It's all good to do certain things, but you've got to work out. I always say to people, who are you going to sell to when you leave this place? Mm. I'm never going to sell Scott. Well, I said, that's another thing I don't like you saying. Don't Never say that. You never know, never. No. Who are you going to sell to? So whenever I do any of my places, I always work out who I'm selling to. So the house I'm in right now, I'm going to be adapting it to downstairs as I get older, like yeah. many, many years' time. Um, the uh, downstairs I can convert into – I don't have to go up the stairs at all. No, I convert right. it into a bedroom. Yeah. So I'm pretty well safe to stay there because I can convert it in later life and there's no steps. But if it had steps, I'd probably have to move. So, again, I'm happy with my decision process that I can add certain value to it mm. that, that will keep on going the direction I want to go. But I would appreciate that it's probably not really a family home my place it's more like a holiday house and the location of it suits that as well but in my friend's case and is is basketball court he's just ripping up probably 100 grand at the end of the day Mm. um because his site isn't a development site but it's certainly a single residential site that is under capitalizing it to the maximum so he spent so getting back to numbers that block of land i think there's a block of land sold in there or a little house sold for 800 the other day a couple of doors up from him just say his land is worth and this is an interesting argument argument is vacant land worth more or less than if it's got a shitter on it you know what i mean because the shitter you can rent out for say three four hundred so it gives you the best thing i like about that it, it stopped it's turnkey cash flow from day one that's if right you want but all, all the better thing i like about it too it slows the pr- uh, decision process down mm. and so in life as we know you have a lot of hurdles coming along and so if you've got a vacant block of land, you've basically got to start building on it pretty well straight away to not waste money on your yeah. $400,000 investment. All right. So go back to the swimming pool. Yes. Attractive to families. Yes. Attractive to holiday makers that want to rent it. Yes. Uh, where's the downside other than the fact that there's a subdivision? Because a lot of people say, do I put a pool in? How much do I spend? Is it good? Is it bad? Yeah. How is much it, do you reckon you spend on the pool? Well, if I had to do it. If you, if, if I Was it over you 50 grand? It, yeah. Yeah, so this is so this is where you're buying a development developable property and using it against the use that it's there for. So that's you're sort of walking into dangerous territory there because you're better off having a shitter on it, knocking it down and selling it for three hundred thousand dollars a unit site. Like, excuse me, like uh, mm. where's something sold recently? You know, that, that's what they're sort of. Oh, there's one in Thompson Street. Sorry to talk local, but I'm just things are coming into my brain. But that sold for seven fifty, mm. seven seventy. Sorry, so that's two hundred fifty thousand per unit site. You can get three units on it, mm. right? So then you build your four hundred thousand dollar home on it. There's six fifty costs plus holding costs, as we all know. Say seven hundred, but they're probably pulling seven fifty, eight fifty. Mm. So there's like half a million dollar profit possibly there. But it, it comes back to to a point. You don't care because you want a pool. No, but yeah, I'm just interested to know because a lot of listeners will be thinking. That the old story of does a swimming pool improve value or decrease value, and and you think well, in terms of putting a pool in, you want it to be able to get equity out to go and do other things with, right? You don't want it to detract from yeah, your, your value of your home. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll come back because you, you threw me when you said yours is a development site. That's what sort of hurts. But to answer your question, two things. Okay, there's a house and there's a pool. It's 10 metres apart. Now, if you followed what I said before and you build a deck to join the house to the pool, integrate the pool into the house, that can add value to it. If you landscape it in, you know, it might cost a bit of time, uh, money, but also time, but if you landscape it into into the house and make the pool 
integral to the house, yeah. I think it can add really good value mm. to it. But if you leave it ostracised out the back, mm. gets back to my other point, and this is the strong points in the 2020s, I think, marketability. So you, I go to your house right now, I hate swimming, right, just so I don't mm. want to swim, but I don't want chlorine, I don't want that. Uh, I don't want a pool in my house. So instantly I don't go to your house because you've got a pool. Mm. So my, the marketability, having a pool, I think in the argument in some value's eyes is less because not everybody wants a pool. Mm. If everybody wanted a pool, no problem. And that's why, again, it comes down to marketability. But if you want a pool, the type of property he's building you're really getting a banger property with a pool. During an increasing market or a stable market, yes. But when you go into a declining market, you want more bums on seats buying any property. So mm. then in a declining market, the so in a rising market, like it's got a bit of white ass. In boom market, everybody goes, don't worry, it's only 10 grand. Yeah, but in a declining market, everybody goes, well, it's got white ass, they'll rip yeah. 30 grand out of it. Okay, so continuing on that point yes. and harping on about the pool, do, does your personal preferences <laughs> does your does the personal preferences of the value not necessarily yours impact the valuation that they give? Oh, look! I think you've got to be human. Yeah, uh, you, you, and you're basing fact on fact. So you, all you're trying to do as a valuer uh, is value apple to apple. Like the perfect situation is four bedroom home, in ground pool, nice block of land, mm. next door sells for one million dollars. You go. My job's easy, mm. tick. So I then go next door and then find something to do itself for 1.1. How do I compare it to yours? Yeah. And look, you're not supposed to bring the human uh, element into it. Yeah. But it's like it, it, to reflect on where we're probably going to go later in the conversation, Scott, do you, should I tidy up the place before the valuer gets here? Of course you should <laughs> because when I go there, it would be nice to see it nice. Yeah. I don't want to see it. You mm. should present it to the highest and best stability. Yeah. And roses because, and a sub of beer and everything else. <laughs> yeah, that's just right. the but you know what I mean? Like it, it should be presentable where I've had people like, you know, so I haven't had time to clean it up. There was cobwebs across the doorways. I think I might have said this last time. Mm. You know, it's amazing. But you do have to present things and I think people miss the point. Valuers are only humans. And when you go there, say you finish, I like inspecting them and reflecting on the writing the report that night or first thing the next morning. A lot of other values do it on site. I'm not a big fan of that. It's got because I can go from your property to your property. Your sells for 1.1 million, so say, and then I've just left yours and I've thought, oh, I'll knock that out at a million. And I'm not quite happy with that, but I'm I'm happy with it. I need to get it out in a hurry. Where we go, I'm happy with that. I'm happy to do it on site. And then I'll go to yours sells for 1.1. I went, oh. I might have to go back to that one and double mm. check my figures because after seeing that sale go through at 1.1, I'm now not confident and I want to reflect on that sale to go back to that. But that's, mm. again, it's, that's pretty minute, you know what I mean? You, you, it's hard to get that perfect situation happening. But that's why I do like to reflect on things. Uh, Nicholas said on a similar note to this uh, improving the property value, what are the most common things people do that they think will add value but it actually doesn't? A pool... A shed, a granny flat, well, uh, or is it like if you've got twenty grand to spend, you're doing the bloody kitchen and the bathrooms? Yeah, what's your on. view on granny flats? Yeah, well, wait, can I answer that one first? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a big misconception out there. So when you buy your shitter, if can I say shitter? Do what you want. Okay, so it's your so reputation, you, not mine. <laughs> so so you, you buy the thing that's not very attractive, and one day to bowl it over or to completely renovate. So, so you go into it, you, you, you tenant it out and all the rest of it. Then you buy the next level up and the kitchen's not too bad but, but the, you decide to yourself with you and the partner, you sort of say, I want a better kitchen. But when you bought the property, the kitchen was usable and functional. So therefore the value of the kitchen was probably five grand mm. to say but you want to rip that five grand out and throw it away and put a $30,000 kitchen in. 
but you're actually losing five. The kitchen's saleable with the house tomorrow, mm. but the thing is you're throwing another 30 out. Yep. So you're instantly losing five. So we have net. So we have instances, to answer the question that that person, viewer, asked, is that you don't want to be just replacing things for replacing them's mm. sake. You want to be adding, adding value to them all the time. And I know that's the original question, mm. but that's the biggest danger is to pull something. I've been into houses, like all my cedar shutters, um, uh, are from a de de demolition site, you know what I mean? They're not highest quality, but my God, it cost me $500 compared to like 10 grand. Yeah, yeah, well, my plantation shutters here, I think cost eight grand for the whole house. Yes. Like as a valuer, when you walked in, yes. like do you go, it's actual material to the value? Because I don't think when the values have came, like, yes. come out here, I don't actually think it has been material. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a theme. I get down to the square metre rates and I think when you buy a project home, uh, and I'm not avoiding the question, I'm just coming yeah. back to it, but when you buy a project home, you pay, say, $16.50. You're not going to go with the cheapest one. You're going to go with the $16.50 because you're getting the better inclusions. When I walk into a place, like when I walked into the studio, I said, oh, it's about 50 grand, I reckon you said 40-odd and something like that, yeah. but obviously put a lot of time and effort into it. But I've got to value it as a tradesman, yeah. paying for it all. So I'd be happy to pay 50 for this, you know, based yeah. on my estimation. But would you, like that wall that he's put in, it's cost him 1800 yes. it could look like a 10-grand wall. That's right. And this is where art, artistry and all, all the tricks of the trade come into it. But from a valuation point of view, you're looking for standards. So I want to go back and go, right, that house is worth $2,200 a square metre times 140 square metres because we've got to do a summation method. Mm. Like, getting back to the basics of valuation, comparability is one thing. Apple for Apple, 1.1, 1 million, it's 100 grand is worth less. Summation, the block of land's worth 600, the house is worth 400. How did you get to 400? Because if I try to replace everything that's there based on a square metre rate, I'm at 2,200 a metre mm. equals 400. Maths isn't quite right. Mm. Equals 400. Yeah. So therefore, if I get nervous about a property, I then don't use comparability, I use summation. Or if I just want to double check myself going, now I work out why that doesn't add up to that, that's why I'm happy with my methodology. Igna asks, what sort of impact does infrastructure being built have on the value of their property? So there is a metro train line being built right. 500 metres from my apartment, blah, blah, blah. So I guess does that just get picked up in previous sales anyway? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think like a really – like You're want... not walking up to a property and going, oh, there's a train line here, so I'll add 100 grand. Yeah, it's going to be evident in the – Well, quite the opposite too. The train yeah, line's right next to like, like, yeah. the 911 again. If it's again. been an extension of that train line, yeah. all of a sudden you can walk to the train. But I mean the general of... existing sales should reflect that. Yeah, and I think this is where you make your money again. Like, and I think like if I can – not for the viewers because they're not from the Central Coast, Newcastle area, but – uh, Springfield Erina is a prime example that you guys would know. Now, just to explain slightly, there's a massive shopping centre at Erina and Springfield didn't have that bridge. You know that back bridge that goes across? Yeah, yeah. Instead of going right around, that used to never be there. I actually got pulled over uh, on Barralong Road there by the All cops. Right. yes. Late at night once for going too slow in my grandpa's Camry because I thought the speedo was broken. <laughs> <laughs> and the cops came you up behind me. Industrially. What were you doing down there yeah, late at night? Dicey. Uh, yeah. oh, I know. Yeah, we don't anyway. want to go there. Leave that one alone. He's anyway. like, why are you going so slow? I'm like, I was scared. You were behind me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway. that's, a, that's a prime example. So when I first came back to the coast uh, – uh, yeah, back before the bridge was built, obviously, you could buy blocks of land. This is going to sound ridiculous to your viewers, but like 65 grand, well, that mm. sounds a bit expensive for Springfield. Mm. You know, Erina, they were selling for 100. 
right? Then, you know, I missed the opportunity. I was a bit, you know, green probably at that stage. But they're putting the bridge there and I'm going, well, it's going to make a bit of difference. Not that much. But, but instantly you're, you're four minutes away from Aaron's shopping centre mm. and shopping centres like schools and freeways uh, are very attractive for a lot of commuters. Mm. And I think that might change in when we're, what we're seeing now with the coast, a lot of people coming to the coast. I think freeways have lost their potency a bit. But definitely shopping centres are very popular. Better schools are very popular, you know. So, so for these reasons, but that was a really good example. Within a year, the prices went you know, up up thirty thousand dollars, and we're closer to the Erinner Prize. Mm. And the interesting thing was, then all the brand new homes went into Springfield, which made some of the areas there really good areas. Do you know what I mean? So it's a really good example of infrastructure. But you want to be before the infrastructure. But also, you know, the other side over Springfield, yes. you get shot. That's in the Simpsons. No, no, no. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Dirty Mike, friend of mine and friend of the podcast, used to live there. Yeah, yes. yeah. And it was. Parts of Springfield's a oh. wild time, but you know the east side, yeah. it's pretty good. But that's that regentrification conversation, isn't it? It's like yes. the locals don't want to be there. But oh. and Long is an example of that, like in ten years' time, all of a sudden it's a brand new suburb yeah, yeah. in its, in but its look and people, feel. You know, um, never sell to a local. You know what I mean? Because, you know, especially if you're in an upcoming suburb, mm. you know, like Long Jetty's a great example. I don't want to get too local specific because the viewers won't mm. know it, but you're 100% right. But, you know, I was born in Long Jetty, but at the same time, you know, the, you sell to a local and they go, oh, I could have paid thrippence halfpenny for that. And, yeah. You know, that, that was a currency, just to let everybody know. <laughs> and then you'd sell to somebody from Sydney and they go, at a million dollars, that's cheap. I just sold my place at Ryde, a two-bedroom unit for, for 880 mm. and this is near the water. I'm happy to pay them in. So they see better value because they've seen infrastructure, they've seen better things happen where local people sometimes are a bit, um, I don't know, take it for granted and mm. they don't appreciate really where they live. And I think Central Coast Newcastle is a prime example of that. We're going to take a quick break, come back with the Community Member of the Week and more questions to be answered. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. And now, for the most highly regarded, auspicious moment in podcast history in Australia, which maybe isn't as big as it should be, it is the My Millennial Money Community Member of the Week. Okay, Community Member of the Week, Jonathan, you are up. Jonathan is a 20-year-old from the Gold Coast. He's a soccer coach and he's a carpenter on the side. So, there you go, Jonathan. Diverse. One of his money goals is to save for my first home. How he's achieving this goal, he's using a budget, cutting expenses to a minimum and trying to get more income. So, whatever your goal is, it just becomes so apparent once you've dialed in on something, you can go, no, there's going to be trade-offs. I'm not spending this on that because I want it towards my goal and I want to get more work, more income. And I think, I don't know what your experience has been with goals in your life, Scott, but the more dialed in you get to a goal, it kind of weird how fast it actually becomes apparent because you're just focused on that. I think you've got to be focused. There's no two doubts yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice mm. and, op- and, and your options. Yeah. I think, you know, from the sports and stuff, you've always got to be looking at your options. You know, if I did this or I did that, what, what would be the ramifications from it? And the silliest money mistake 
Jonathan's made was buying a van too quickly, probably for the carpentry work on the side, then having to spend $6,500 on it fixing it. Mm. But he's thankfully sold it. So a property's like, you know, you buy a set of mag wheels for a car. Yes. It's two grand. You can't get two grand more for the car. But no. property can sometimes. Again, marketability. So, again, it, cars are a really good example. And, like, I, I, it's funny because I've been thinking about this marketability and price point for a while now. And as the market's matured, property market's matured a lot, so many people know so much about property. You know, people are really, you know, finessing it down. But it's a good example. So you put a pair of 2,000 mags on your car, but you're taking it out of that marketability range. So now you're, you can only sell it to somebody that likes those mags. Mm. So when it's a stock standard factory, you know, issue you can sell it to anybody because they can add the mags to it so again that marketability factor i think is very dangerous but also you know cars you should only pay cash for is my philosophy and 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 they're a depreciating asset you should only buy things that are appreciating in asset you know, in asset base um, yeah. or hoping to appreciate yeah. in asset base scott asks how can no different scott scott bruce asks how property can be apparently purchased below market value quote unquote if someone pays a price, isn't that the value? It's that old thing. It's yeah, anything's yeah. only ever worth what someone pays for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've always, again, these are all good questions and the, and the marketplace has matured so much and changed so much. So when you go to an auction and something sells for, say, 500000 501000 you know what I mean? Really, that's the, the measurement of marketplace. But in actual fact, that was the last person that was willing to pay the highest price. Mm. So, you know, valuation gurus and books will say market is what somebody's paid for. But I'm saying it's the second highest price somebody's willing to pay for in an auction scenario because mm. that's where the market is. If you're one person, like I said when we mucking around before, you know, one sale doesn't make the marketplace. But in an auction process, that one person that pays the highest price, they're not. They're actually the last person in the market. Emotion. Yeah. yeah so, but to say something's bought below that, or, that's because if you investigate a marketplace consistently, there is other factors coming into it. I've got to move to Newcastle for work. I've got to sell my. Uh, you know, I'm getting divorced. I'm getting mm. separated. I've got crook. I need to go look after my kids. I've got all these factors coming in, and the time, which is one yeah, thing. Yeah, so something could get fire sold legitimately. Yeah, and time factors, and and, and people don't employ possible valuers yeah. or employ other people to give them uh, an, ob- objection, uh, an objective view of what they're trying to achieve. Mm. And I think that's why people listen to your show and stuff like that. So, that so where where's your first port of call? Is it CoreLogic RP Data is your reference point for comparable sales yes. and uh, their valuation estimate? Oh, How, no, not at all. No, you, you don't not, look at that valuation estimate from, and um, – <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I, because we're – that's good if you're looking at a broad-based market situation. I'm not. I'm going to the property to value your yeah. property. I'm looking at the last 10 sales in the last three months. Yeah. And as I'm going to your property, I'm looking for sale boards um, and sold by stickers. Yeah. Uh, on the way, um, oh, there's one that's sold by such and such real estate agent. Ring them up. Hey, John, how are you going? Yeah, what it's sold for. Yeah, it hasn't settled yet. I've got to use settled sales only, not, mm. s- not just um, exchange sales because they're not – by law, a a, a, um, sale. a yeah. benchmark sale. So, so, but I'm trying to get a grasp 
of what your value of the property, especially unique properties. You know, it's easier in generic areas. Yeah. Um, or, or somebody says it's worth a million dollars and you're looking at the photos, you can see on RP data or from maps and you go, oh, what's going on here? And then, then you start thinking, well, this doesn't look right. I'm going to have to take a few extra sales out. Yeah. So uh, what if it's done extra work inside or something like that? So what if it's a tightly held area where there hasn't been that's right. those sales in that last three months or six months? Yeah, that's 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 when you've got to start using your local market knowledge. So you look at high quality areas. Um, the the best measurement of a, of a high quality traditional area is they're the last ones to sell. The, the last ones to go. Um, down in price and they're the first ones to go up. Mm. So you'll see that in really strong, you know, the Sydney market, I've never done work in Sydney on a valuation basis, um, but I'd imagine down at Double Bay and places like that, you know, the, they're the first place to go up in mm. value, last ones to come down. Mm. So there's certain pockets uh, and those pockets have changed on the Central Coast. But, you know, places like Cessnock have always struggled. Mm. Um, I don't mind Cessnock. I've always wondered why uh, it hasn't progressed. Um, but it's got. they just went through a bit of a boom recently, yeah, probably a year ago, and then COVID hit. So, mm. But they seem to be holding in there. I think there's a lot more jobs going in out there, a lot more homes going in there, and people are perceiving good buying value out that way. Uh, two questions. The first one from a listener, his name's Glenn James. Uh, true or false? You can't polish a turd, but you can put glitter on it. Mm. <laughs> yes, I agree with that, Glenn. Insightful. Yes. Yeah. So, so just on glittering up a turd, um, Sylvie asks <laughs> the top three things if you could say that add value to a property, and the top three things that reduce the value. <laughs> right. Can we have a broad question? Isn't top it? three things that <laughs> add value to a property. It like it's to, I mean, you know, like, like, yeah. What sort of time frame? What sort of money have I got? You know, like. Well, I guess if if you're wanting to uh, refinance or yes. sell the home, yeah, uh, and a value is coming out, yes, um, you know, does a yeah okay. coat of paint go a long way, or is it not worth it? Oh, I, like, I, look, I, I've got a pretty good example. I'm just trying to think of something yeah. to answer that. Yeah, if we're going for that. For, for somebody coming out to look at your property, just present it as if you're going to sell it. Like if I'm going to sell it to John, yeah, and you want, and I think it's really important to get that standard. I've made some dollars out of uplifting the standard of a kitchen, mm. replace the, the – there's nothing wrong with the carcass of a kitchen most of the times. And most of the times people put in the correct carcass to sh- shape the, the kitchen they've got. I put in brand-new bench tops, put door, uh, the doorknobs on the cupboards uh, and put new taps on the sink, didn't replace the sink. It looked like I'd replaced the whole thing, yeah. but I'd lifted the standard at minimal cost to – so when somebody walked in, they'd go, I don't need to double-check that. That looks like it's a good standard. Mm. Same in a bathroom. You, you have certain things, like I'm big on taps. I think taps are very important. They can change the look of a place. Mm. You know, paint, you know, uh, you know, wallpaper, things like this can change the look of a place. It's all got to meld together to make your standard go up in value. So there's nothing worse than you go, this is sensational. You walk out and there's a dead cat with a dead rat and nobody's done anything to the, to the yard. You go, right, well, I did like inside, but I'm not comfortable that it, it carries all the way through. Yeah. Um, and I think... That's where, you know, the top three things I think, you know, if you're from a valuation perspective is is definitely each thing's got to uh, roll through. You know, if you're doing the 60s thing, go for it. Just go right around the whole place. And that's the worst thing as we've all experienced when we've renovated is that you chase your tail. You go, that looks great. That looks like crap. Now I've got to fix that. So if you go and value a home mm-hmm. and we've all seen them online and that room's bright red, that one's bright pink, that one's bright blue, they've got timber halfway up throughout the wall, yes. like shiplock or whatever, shiplock, what do they call it? And then the next room, 70s theme, and then we've gone, you know, 90s theme kitchen. Yep. 
So are you saying you, if you're valuing that, yes. that could actually be a, a detriment to the valuation? Well, it's marketability. It gets straight back to marketability. Yeah. I, I want to go into any house and know that it's 100% marketable. To, to That way I can compare this, compare this apple that I'm looking at to the apple that's sold next door that I've done some investigation on that sold for a million dollars. So then I walk in and you've got, like, I've been into a house, actually, I've been into a house and they painted it all black inside. Actually, I've got wow. a black room in my house, my movie room. But anyway, but uh, this whole house was painted black with purple, dark purple ceilings. And I just went, beautiful home if you could see it, but my God, the marketability of it went through the floor. You'd have to spend 15, 20 grand. You'd have to do two, three codes. So instantly it comes down to marketability. And I think with all the the, the um, TV shows running around now, um, you know, The Block and all these shows that are doing places up, people are very a, a, acute to, to design and yeah. they want to see value for dollar. Um, so, you know, back in the days when I used to do a bit of renovation stuff, I don't think I'd get away with it as much. But the thing is it costs a lot more, you know, to do that. So that's the difficulty. Uh, Jessica asks, what low-cost renovations have the greatest impact? Yeah, and I still I said before, I think trying to incorporate a small area, like the, go to your, your property and work out what are the worst features of it, right? So do you reckon, um, you know, if we had 10 grand to spend yes. and there was a bit of an an outside area, mm-hmm. you know, porch that stepped down, throw 10 grand at a, a deck going off the back living room yes. or throw 10 grand and redo the bathroom. Yeah. Like, like what do you do? I'd be, I'm a big fan of the deck. That's, yeah. you know, that's part personal and part valuation. One, you've already got a bathroom. So it goes back to a couple of points I raised before. One, I'm not replacing something that already exists. So I'm making money from day one. Mm. Um, two, especially in the older places you've got, I'm trying to make it marketable to a bigger amount of people. Yeah. And to be honest, anybody can replace a bathroom. You can go employ somebody to do it. You pick out three tiles, two van- a vanity and a shower and you're done. Yeah. You know, doing a deck to marry it in is a lot harder. And the good thing about older places these days, a lot of the time you've got good piers there mm. or you've got a back patio that you can extend off and then just drop three piers in, put another metre extension on it, and you're away. Put a little pergola. Like, I'm even not that fussed about pergolas. You just put an umbrella in it, and, and off you go. But you've got to add, add squareage to the place because that helps me as a valuer. So that house with the new bathroom, yes, new bathroom, but you might have unique taste that I don't think is marketable to across the board. So therefore, whilst you spent 30, I might only value that as 20 grand uplift. Um, but the, the decking that you've added 40 square metres to, I can times that out at 450 a square metre. Yeah. Um, Amy Kennedy Cook uh, got a comment about solar panels. Um, they're becoming more popular. Mm. So when you're going out to a, a property, uh, if there are panels, is that a material change to the valuation? It's maturing. Like this has been, this argument's going on. It's like pools, John. Like you know, the, this argument's been going on for about 10, 20 years. The um, solar situation. It's becoming more relevant. I just got a building yesterday. You know, it went through the roof, and I've got solar as well. So now, but because there's a tree overhanging the solar, so yes, you. I, but I think I think it's one of these things too. Like we're not going to get up on a roof and check out that there's solar, a- and you can normally tell. Yes, but if you're trying to add value to the property and trying to help out the value, add value to it, or at least come in to where you think it's worth. Tell him these things. Like I, each, and this is the difficulty part. There was 26 panels on a roof yesterday. I said, so it's not, it used to be four panels per kilo, uh, kilowatt. So now that's changed. I believe it's 2.8 or 3.2 or something like that. But if they're not a new one, it's the old system. If it's a new one, it's this system. So you've got to work out how many kilowatts you're saving and that can add value to your property. But we need to be told this because most valuers won't know that. You know what I mean? So yeah. you write out a list. It, you know, to add value to your property, if you're getting a value, go to the trouble, give them a floor plan, 
say how much money you've spent, do an Excel sheet, write down all the attributes you think are relevant to the marketability. Does the $2,000 cash in an envelope help with valuers? <laughs> no. Only two. Because I think generally when when a – depending on I'm why the valuations serious. come <laughs> This come is through. pure plastic. This is yeah. pure vinyl ease, let yeah. me tell you. Yeah, so obviously I'm not getting any of them. When, when the valuation's been ordered for various reasons – Yes. It's very hard sometimes to know, A, when they're coming out and B, when they're exactly going to be there um, a lot of the time, especially if you're an investor yes. and it might be a tenant that um, yeah, yeah, is sure. in the home, not you. So having that list might not always be, be feasible. Oh, no, it, not at all. I, I disagree completely because like I'm doing it every day. We have you know five, six appointments a day and I think everybody's like we've got 48 hours generally to 72 hours to get to mm. – you you send the report. You you're the bank. Yeah. Or you're somebody sends it to us. We got forty eight to seventy two hours to inspect the property, get it back to the bank. Yeah. That's our rule. We lose work if we don't get it done that quick. So we'll ring straight up, John. Are you home? Yeah. When can we get there? But with email, text messaging, anything like that, and just leave it on the kitchen. And if it's a rental property, just email. So what's the valuer's email address? Yeah. You know where are they small- getting that every time? They're getting the valuer's contact details before the valuation. Well, we comes we provide in. that. I'm not you know, but we you know I think we're a bit different. I think we're yeah because I was going to say. I, I, like, like, I don't know about the big companies, but your hair and Todd Whites and your CBRE, right. you might not get that every time. So just well, keep just, that in mind. But you got to give so that to the broker. It goes yeah. back to you know when I had this place valued. One of the valuers, oh, I was just talking, and yeah, the guy was from Western Sydney. Yeah, and it's like you've actually got no freaking idea of this suburb and the suburb next door, yeah, yeah. and that this is a good thing and that. So. There was a question that came in here about <laughs> desktop valuations. Yeah, yeah. Um, Can I just make a comment on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a quick funny story, and I don't want to say names, but down one of the streets down here, I was down there doing another job on the other side of the road, and this is a waterfront property down at Blue Bay, and I knew this bloke was going through a divorce. And so I was a, I was a bit cute who this bloke was because I didn't recognise him, and I was doing a job over the other side of the road, and I said, hey, mate, how are you going? He goes, oh, I'm just a valuer. He said, Bado Bay is a beautiful spot, isn't it? I said, Bado Bay is. And he goes, and I said, but this is Blue Bay. He goes, oh, I thought this was Bado Bay. <laughs> oh, wow. And like, no offence to Bado Bay people, yeah. but Blue Bay probably has got a bit more value to it. And he was doing a, a divorce valuation on this place. I just went, where are you from, mate? And he goes, suburb. Blue. But I went, oh, God. Like, you know. yeah. And from a local perspective. Valuations 150K different. Oh, yeah, that's right. And But I think also, you know, there's time pressure, there's money pressures on valuers and the banks and all this sort of stuff to get it back in time. But all I think what the conversation we're trying to have is don't isolate the valuer from the picture, help him out, give him give him some sales, give him – and the brokers should get more involved. The mm. brokers, you say trying to get a relationship going with um, uh, trying to get access to the valuer. Yeah. And seriously, if the valuer gave out his email address to every person out there, it would be very difficult to get through the day without being disrespectful to people because they'd be sending you a lot of information. You've got to catalogue it, give it to your mortgage broker or do something. So I don't want to waste your time. Leave it on the kitchen top. Sorry I'm not here at the moment. I've left it on the kitchen top. Mm. But we love floor plans. If you give us a floor plan that's got measurements on it, you're saving us five, ten minutes. You know, when they looked here once, the guy didn't realise there was a third toilet under the stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. And then he thought it was a one-car garage spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the other two units are one car, like just yeah. not even looking. And, and we always tell people to go and get two, if not three valuations, yeah, especially yeah. if you're releasing equity because that example I had 150K yeah, yeah. difference. But talk to us quickly about there's two reasons where like two examples where you might go out and do a valuation. One, to get equity out. 
through the uh, bank ordered a vowel yep. versus you having an independent vowel where mum wants to sell it to son or something like yeah, that. It's, so It's going to be the same figure. So there's a misconception out there of that there's two value. There's a bank valuation and yep. then there's a, the real estate valuation. So the basis that I grew up on and abide by, and it's changed a little bit, but if uh, most properties sell within six weeks when they hit the market. Mm. So this property I look at today, I'm – Mentally thinking, it's got six weeks to sell. Six weeks is an average selling time. So, and that, and part of the report says, is there any reason it wouldn't sell within six weeks? Yes, there is. Mm. It's an acreage property. Not many people want to buy yep. it this way. The marketability, it's crime scene, is like, crime scene. <laughs> yeah, all these things comes down to marketability again. I keep on going back to that that hit. But that's the problem. So the value should be the same across the board. There should be no difference. But people perceive that the bank valuation is lower. But do the banks not put more pressure on you, liability wise? as opposed to you just doing an independent one that means nothing to the banks? No, no, because I think, you know, like in the big picture, they probably don't want that at all. They want you to be as accurate as you can to reflect the marketplace so they can lend more money. But accurate as in you don't want to go too high because that could come back uh, and hurt the banks? Oh, definitely, but like there's no – it's got to be realistic, you know. It's got to be based on comparability. So what I like to do, and as I'm sort of more mature now in the game, I like to go to a property and go, hmm, that's an interesting one. I'm going to have to think about that a lot. Mm. Um, I know it's worth uh, more than 800 yeah. but I know it's not worth more than 1.2. And you might go, Scott, that's 400 grand. That's 30%. And I said, yeah, give me a sec. Mm. I've only just looked at it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and then all of a sudden I'll come back the next day and go – I'm now up to 950 and I'm yeah. down to 1.05. I'm only 100 grand. I'm pretty happy with myself. I can finish this off now. Yeah. But it takes a little bit of mind bending to go through it. And, you, and then you'll get a sale come through or you ring up an agent and you go, I knew that didn't sell for one point. It only sold yeah. for 1.1, didn't it? Goes, but the yes, agent's right. going to say, I reckon we get 1.2 for it. Oh, yeah. So the agent's appraisal and the valuer's appraisal always different, totally. aren't they? And, you know, they're two different agendas. Yeah. We're trying to come up with a price that the agent will sell it to in six weeks' time, yeah. the agent is trying to get the business of what he can maximise it to in six vendor. weeks' time yeah. and what he can get to buy the business from the yeah. owner to secure it against other agents. Mm. So this is where credibility and, and, and longevity and all these things can be diminished in an agent's mind. Uh, and uh, the question here on – about that turd again, the polished turd? Yeah, no, the, uh, from Kitty Hill about desktop valuation. Oh, yeah. So basically uh, if a bank is uh, looking at – a property and perhaps the LVR is 80% or less, for example, uh, they might do a desktop valuation, right. which means they can basically just do their own research online yes, that's right. without sending someone in. Now, they generally won't do that if you're borrowing 95 or 90% of the loan. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it comes back to the risk analysis you're looking for. Yeah. But desktops in a homogenous area, like, you know, just say, uh, you know, and micro. And there's been some good win and stories on desktop valuations. Yeah, well, I'm not a, like, you know, <laughs> again, I'm not a big fan of the plan, sales at all. Yeah. Um, never have been, never never will be. Um, and I think there's proof in the pudding of that as the market's changed at the moment. So that's just my personal. And we, I think we might do zero of them a year or we normally knock them back, right? Um, now and again, we do do them if we're confident in other sales around the area. Um, so desktop's a, a little bit the same. Um, it's a good barometer, but it's not accurate. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like, it's probably not a bad analogy of weather there because, yes, uh, you know, in, in say, um, Warnervale, just just pick Able Street, Warnervale, um, there's 20 homes in the street and all with homes did the lot. It's their development in with the Uramba and there's five McDonald Jones. The average sale is 
800, uh, the high sales 800, the medium sales 675, in the middle 725, yours is 165 square metres, double garage, yep, boom, 725. I'll go out there and come up with 728. And you go, well, that was a waste of time, Scott, I could have just done that. I go, yeah, but that's the perfect scenario yeah. for a desktop where you go to a waterfront um, and you've got people of unsavoury sort living next door. They might be renters or bad holiday makers or bad owners, whatever. You're not going to see that on a desktop. So desktops should be used for the purpose they are, is for low-risk uh, valuations, uh, not anything to do with any reasonable percentage. And, and it gives you a stepping stone to get forward. Yeah. Well, it keeps you out of a job too, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, but I, I think that's where the danger is. You know, I think America's way down that path. You know, and RP data's got some great. Oh, I love the mapping in RP data; it's mm. ridiculously good. And I, because you blow it up, and you get the last four year sales. But it, it, similarly, and this is where I'll defeat what I said slightly. I'm big on his history as well. You can tell me that you bought a property in 2014 in Mayfield in Newcastle for 425. I'll go, oh, geez, you bought well there. And then I'll go out and value it for 625 because there's been that percentage increase. I'll know as I'm going out there, um, they've said it's worth 700. I've said, oh, you've done a little bit of work to it. Yeah, we've done a little bit, not too much. But already I feel comfortable with those figures. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I feel that I don't, when I get out there, I'm more than comfortable in the, in the space I'm in. But that's where RP data and the desktop is really good to give you an understanding of that. But as I say, historical sales should be really utilised. Mm. And that's where you see um, uh, traditionally strong suburbs and suburbs that are emerging get better. You'll see that percentage increase. Like look at Batter Bay. Batter Bay is now, the true Batter Bay was East Batter Bay mm. and now it's Batter Bay's everywhere sort of thing. It, it extends over the other side of the main road. Last question from Ben Watson and it's a bit of a two-pronger. Uh, you like the two-prongers, don't you? Well, I don't. Uh, make these up. Oh, uh, but, I you did. No, Ben asks, does living on a, a, on the same road as a primary school affect the price, number one? Yes or no? Good or bad? Again, marketability. So if you've got young kids, like, you know, uh, it's great up until they're 12, with primary school, you said, and then yep. it's probably a bit noisy, you hate the bus coming through and all the rest of it. It depends on your demographic you are yep. it, and it depends on how long you want to live there for. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, after 3.30 in the afternoon, most primary schools, unlike high schools, are quite quiet yep. uh, and you've got big playing fields you can go kick the ball around. So yep. it depends on your, who you are and yeah, where you're at in life sort of thing. So from a value point of view, it does give it a solid feel because it feels like you're in the middle of suburbia in a yeah. nice family-located area. And uh, Ben, follow-up question, uh, beach views or mountain views, what are what are probably Ooh. worth more? Beach views or mountain views? <laughs> yeah, well, again. And ocean glimpses. Well, I'm uh, I'm going to throw something at you. So mm. I've got a question for you guys. I've got a, I've got a thing called the touchable view. Mm. All right, so you ready for this? So. What would you prefer? Uh, because in my instance, I'm sort of like the beach. Um, I was out in the mountains yesterday. Unfortunately, got terribly lost in Barrington. But anyway, that's a different story. But I, I do think the ocean is ever-changing. I think mountains are more stable and I think the views of an ocean is like looking at a fire. That's my perf- personal preference and I think a lot of people gravitate towards that as so much. Does that influence your valuation when you're out in the mountains? No, not at all because I'm no. basing it on comparability sort of yep. thing. So, again, you've got to put yourself into that spot. Uh, yep. Unlike the bloke that was a – Batter, they thought he was a Batter Bay instead of Blue Bay. Yeah. He should have already implanted himself in the spot, yeah, yeah. grabbed a coffee at the road, especially if he's doing a divorce case. You know, he's got to know the area pretty well and, and walk forward from that. But the question I've got for you guys, I my place has got really good access to the beach, but I don't have much of a view. But my access is really good, like I'm, you know, walking distance to it. Would you rather have a view, right, or would you rather have really good access? And a good example is down at, you guys know, Ascot and Fairseen Avenues down at Avoca. It's on 
Avoca Beach, which is pretty premier mm, stuff. Yeah. It's quite steep on yeah. the back of it. They've got massive views, yeah. but they all the holidaymakers going, let's, hey, hey, little Glenn, let's go for a swim. <laughs> 25 minutes a day, you're down the beach sweating your guts out. Yeah, no. They normally drive down there. So I like a touchable view. This is my personal view. It doesn't affect my value. Yeah. But I like a touchable view because normally I couldn't afford to have the view, <laughs> um, but I like a touchable view better because it's easier access. So what do you guys Yeah, do? practically I'd say definitely. Yeah. Um, having experienced both. Yes. Uh, and, and I suppose as a family, yes. definitely touchable because the kids can walk the, yeah, yeah. to the beach and oh. it's a no-brainer. Yeah, Glenn? Oh, I don't really care, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you just I've, I've checked out because we've ticked over the hour, but uh, Scott. <laughs> just, just pull the curtain. Yeah, the thank about you the view. so much for joining us. Pleasure. And you can reach out to Scott McMonigal. What's your website? Uh, property Valuations New South Wales, specialising Newcastle, Central Coast, Hunter Valley and up to Port Stephens. Is that the website? It's a long one. Oh, <laughs> oh the website. Oh, property uh, Values w- New South Wales. Yeah, I think that so. www. Oh, no, that bit. Yeah, Property Valuations New South Wales. There you go. All right. Thanks, Thank Scott. You, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. If you're looking for a super fund that puts its members' interests above all else, choose a super performer, Sun Super. With low fees, strong investment returns, and great member services, Sun Super is Super Ratings 2020 Fund of the Year and has also been awarded by Money Magazine, CanStar, and Finder. Find out more at sunsuper.com.au forward slash M3. You can join Sun Super online in under five minutes. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.